0: Um, This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no, He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, it is so good to be with you here this morning. My name is Eric. I'm the assistant pastor here at Ascension Church. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I hope we will. And we've had a lot of announcements this morning, but let me, uh, before I pray and preach, let me plug one more. Uh, college students, end of the year party next Sunday at my place, uh, some lunch, prayerful reflection on the semester, and uh, pray over you looking into the summer. So thankful for you. So if you've been around at our church for a while or this is your first time, still come out. Uh, Sign up for the details, and we'd love to see you there. Let me begin by opening us in prayer. Lord, we're so thankful for your word this morning. We know that as we read it, we are comforted by your grace. We are challenged by your holiness. We are amazed at the gospel that has saved us, that you would stoop to us who are we that you would come to us, and yet you have? You've given us your word. Father, you have given us your son, that we might be righteous in your sight. Would our space this morning, looking at your word, hearing it preached, be something that is of your spirit, be leading in truth and love, and uh, would it just glorify the name of Christ? It's in his name we pray. Amen. So my first job out of uh, high school was to work at a Chick-fil-A. As soon as I got my driver's license, I took our old blue minivan over to the closest Chick-fil-A and applied, put in one application, and came home and was called the very next day, yes, you can come and work for us, or come in for the interview, Uh, we would like to interview you, it seemed very good. Um, I was shocked, so easy to get a job. Uh, as a 15-year-old. I didn't realize, it wasn't much of a shocker that Chick-fil-A would hire a homeschooled high schooler to go work at their store. Didn't realize I was kind of fitting into that box that way. But but I got the job and worked there for a few years before going to college. And I remember many things from this first job as we all do for our first jobs. Something that comes to mind immediately when I think about that Chick-fil-A and working there was an old ratty paper sign Hanging in the window of the office of the manager of the store. I walked past this sign thousands of times refilling ketchup Getting a mop to clean up a spill and the sign read if it is to be it is up to me I Never quite heard it phrased that way before but I haven't been able to get it out of my head ever since if it is to be It is up to me. And from what I know about myself, my family, even my my grandparents and generations before me, that's really not a bad tagline for us. We work and we keep working. And we often have the same fallback. If something's not working, we can fix it by just doing more of the same But harder, harder, longer, more attention, that should do it. If it is to be, it is up to me. I will make it good. In fact, if it's going to be good, it's going to be me who makes it good. And if you relate to that at all, which I think many of us do, then you also know a secret, or at least the secret ingredient to this uh, recipe for making it happen. And that is the secret of being miserable. (laughs) I say it, it's funny, but it's also a little bit true. If it's up to me and i got to make it good, then there may come a point where I just need to get miserable and stay miserable for a while. Because I'm going to be the one who makes it good. That's just how this works. Peter, in our story today, he knows how to be miserable. He's been doing it all night. In verse 3, it says, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but they catch nothing. That sounds miserable. That sounds like what you do when you don't know what to do. Work harder, work longer, long night, heavy net, weary friends, drifting in the dark. And the worst part is, this happens right after Easter. Jesus is back. He's been raised from the dead. What, what, what is going on in this story? This story is so strange and yet so relevant, I think, to our lives. John chapter 21 happens in a post-resurrection world. You just heard in the final verse of that reading that this scenario, this story, is the third time that Jesus appears to his disciples after being raised from the dead. So this entire story that we just heard is not the first time, it's not the second time, it's not even all the second-hand accounts of other people encountering Jesus and telling the disciples about it. This is the third time that they personally have encountered Jesus, that he's found them, that he's revealed himself to them. And the disciples have just been through what we experienced last week, going through Good Friday and the cross and experiencing Easter Easter. And the resurrection, and now Jesus has appeared to them. He's victorious. He's relaxed. It's wonderful. It's inspiring. And it's also kind of weird. What's Jesus' plan here? I think this story captures the weirdness of how the disciples are interacting with this, knowing that Jesus is raised from the dead and kind of waiting to understand what's the plan, what's next here, and so they go go fishing. And if you know the story of Peter, it's totally okay if you don't, but if you know the story of Peter and his life with Jesus, you'll know that on Good Friday, he cut off someone's ear defending Jesus and then denied Jesus three times in this dramatic fashion and then moved to, uh, in just a few chapters in Acts, Jesus, uh, Peter preaches a sermon that the Lord uses to save 3,000 people. And right in the middle, he's on this boat fishing. It doesn't seem like Peter. It doesn't seem like what Jesus called him to. This morning, I want to look at this story and our impulse to make it good. And I wonder how many can relate to what I described earlier, that kind of worn-out, ratty sign, maybe hanging on the window of of your own soul, if it is to be, it is up to me. Folks like that approach their parents and think, if this is going to work, then I have to make it good. Spouses think of each other If we're going to have the relationship I want, then I need to make it good. A parent with desires for their child, if they're going to turn out like this, then it is up to me. And then there's just the day-to-day. Up too late. Tired but wired. Sorting through money. Conflict. Strife in our own heads. I can make this work. I have to make this work. If this is going to turn out right, it's up to me. We, like the disciples in John 21, can wrestle with, even after Easter, this false notion that we are the ones who make this all work. And if Christ, he came from the grave first. And yet it's still kind of like if we can find him, if we can follow him, if we can be in the right place at the right time, then we can make this good between God and I because God's done everything. So let me just kind of frame myself, frame my, wife, my, my life right before God and make this good for him. And we, like the disciples, need to be reminded that we are not the ones who will make this good. Jesus will find us and he will make it good. That is what this story is all about. In verse 1, this is a story about Jesus revealing himself. Then in the last verse of this portion, John says in verse 14, this is how Jesus was revealed. And right in the middle in verse 7, we get these words, they recognize it." is the Lord and Peter jumps in to swim after Jesus hey that's the Peter we know that's consistent and this passage is saying to us that everyone who feels like they've been up all night pulling in empty thinking they have to make it good Jesus will find you and he will make it right and that's a good word to hear this morning that our lives are in Christ's hands, in God's hands, not ours, to fix. So this morning I want to look at uh, three movements of this story, track through the story just as it unfolds in John. Look at the phases the story goes through, through the perspective of the disciples. And here's the first one. It's in an ask. It's an asking, where is Jesus? Like I, I already mentioned that, this story occurs after the resurrection and before what we know as, as Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit comes on believers. That's the state that we are in. We ha- if you have accepted Christ and, and called out to him, you have the spirit within you. You know an intimacy with God through that. This is a space between that. So it's, it's a unique slice of history for you church history buffs. Shout out. Shout um, of what this is. And there's been strange occurrences, Jesus kind of fading in and out of a room like a ghost, or as Gray preached on last week, the, the road to Emmaus, an appearance to, to a couple of disciples instructing them and then disappearing again. And it's not the PR strategy that I would run for Christ as his advisor after the resurrection. It would be a go get him. Uh, stand up and and let's preach. Let's do it now. Let's capitalize on this momentum. But Jesus is kind of moving and drifting. You can tell this is God's wisdom. Perhaps he's preparing them even to receive the Holy Spirit and recognize we need God's presence in us and with us. And it's this interesting phase in which that's happening. And God's wisdom, he allows this to happen, but it leaves the disciples in a weird space. And so we pick up with this group of seven led by Peter going out to fish all night and failing. And, and why are they here to begin with? Well, it's recorded in the Gospels that, that Jesus told his disciples to go to Galilee. That's where he ascends to heaven. That's where he gives the famous great commission to them. And so no doubt they are there waiting to witness that, waiting to, for Jesus to meet them there. And yet this fishing detour does not seem like a spirit-empowered mission. It's not living with purpose. It's just biding time. It's not wrong, but it's not right. It's not what we know where this is going. And as I read this story more and more, I wonder if this was Peter's hope all along. He had been found originally by Jesus in Galilee. Now he's back Along the shoreline, maybe he thinks if I go back to that shore, if I get my boat again, just like Jesus called me, I was casting my nets to fish, maybe then Jesus will find me and come back if I'm kind of back to the start. He remembers in his mind, Jesus' words to him, you're fishing right now, I'll make you fishers of men, a life of purpose in my kingdom. He found them and he called them to himself. Maybe he could. Maybe that's the, the jumping off point again. Maybe if he finds me again, we can make this all good and pick up back where we left off. Peter had been told by Jesus that he'd be the rock on which he built his church. And now here's Peter, and I think he's asking, where is Jesus? I think that's the main question of all the disciples in this time? What, what's happening? Where is Jesus? You can feel Peter asking that as he pulls in the net all night long. Jesus has plans for me. Jesus had plans for me. I haven't seen him in a while. Maybe I just need to make this work myself. Maybe you can relate to this feeling. I sometimes feel like when I'm looking at my life with the Lord and like trying to figure out what's a what's a decision look like here. What do I need to be doing? I almost feel like I'm standing at like a trailhead map at a park, like a hiking map at a hiking park. There's a better word for that, right? But uh, and it's like the purple trail. It's too long. No, that's too long. God doesn't want me to do that. It's too long. Ah, the yellow trail is Jesus on that trail. It's nice. There's a waterfall and. If I take the orange trail, don't forget the connection to the green, or I'll be miles out from where I'm supposed to be. And I'm just terrified that if I pick the wrong path, I'll I'll walk the whole loop, I'll hike the mountain, and I'll I'll come back to the parking lot, and, and Jesus will be there filling up his water bottle. Where were you? You didn't figure it out? You didn't know I was on the pink path this whole time? I want to get it right, but I don't have have the means always to get it right. And that's Peter and his disciples right now. They don't have the means to figure it out. They're told to be back in Galilee. And so they do it, and now they're just kind of doing what's familiar to them. It's not wrong, but it doesn't feel right either. And where is Jesus? Maybe they took the wrong trail. Maybe they messed it up. Or maybe Jesus will find them and make it good. Well, that is the first movement, the tension that John builds in this story. And that, just as night gives way to dawn, and that's what John uses to symbolize this story, tracking up all night and as day is breaking, here's the second movement, seeing there is Jesus. Verse 4 symbolizes this, revealing that it is coming. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. There is Jesus. There is Jesus. They don't know it yet. Maybe it's too dark. Maybe they're lost in their work. Maybe they're forgotten. They're no longer even expecting to see him, but there he is on the shore. He's working. He's watching. He's approached them. And we must see in this story how Jesus enters into this moment with them. If we identify with the disciples at all with this kind of grind, I don't quite know what to do. I want the Lord to come into my life. I want more of Jesus. I want to be on his path, but I'm just kind of filling the space with this. If we relate to that at all, we have to see how Jesus enters into this moment with them. He calls out to them, children, do you have any fish? One one commentator says, this is like saying lads in Britain. I won't try my accent. You get the idea. Or boys in America. It's, It's familiar. It's not demeaning. It's not patronizing. It's familiar and welcoming. And there is Jesus. He's met them where they are. And this is so crucial for us to see, that he doesn't come to them and correct them and say, well, why am I finding you out here again, guys? I just rose from the dead. Don't you think you should be out telling people about that? You're, you're fishing again, really? He, there's none of that. He simply calls out to them to find out how they are doing. And I've noticed in the, in the past that sometimes in, in church settings, when we talk about the correction of God, when we talk about the instruction of God, maybe a rebuke, maybe a moment of repentance where we confess sin and the Lord forgives us, but he also says, I, I don't want you to be doing that anymore. In those moments, sometimes I hear people talk about them. They use this terminology that's very, uh, it doesn't feel like probably what actually happened to them. Um... They often say something like, I was really proud and arrogant until God slapped me in the face. Some sort of language like that, that like connotates this abrupt like slap from God or something to get them back, right? And I I understand kind of the the, like pour cold water on the face, revival imagery of that. Like, hey, wait, you know, don't do that. And I may have used it too, but while the scripture is full of a seriousness for sin and rebuke for wickedness, and a calling to follow God, this sort of slap posture is not the posture we see from Jesus on the beach, and it's not the default posture of God. Think of the very first sin in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit, God comes to them, what does he say? He doesn't even yell stop or anything, he says, where are you, is what he asks. Where are you? It's, it's, a, it's a father finding his children and beginning with this question, well, how are you? What, what just happened here? Pulling them into relationship in that moment rather than just telling them in a passive way, like, stop, I don't have time for that. Think of the prophet Jonah who is uh, not a great hang in that book, a uh, tough guy to get along with, angry the whole book, God doesn't say, you're supposed to be my prophet. Would you just stop? You've already been eaten by a whale. When are you going to get it? He says, do you do well to be angry? This is the posture of God. I'm not saying he has a passive approach to sin. I think the cross says enough about God's approach to sin and how seriously he takes it. And he took it on our behalf. But if our perception of God is that he would come into our lives, he would reveal himself to us, he would find us, and we're yearning for his presence, we want to know, where are you in this, Lord? And we're afraid that we've done the wrong thing, that we got in the wrong boat, and there would be this sort of slap reaction from God. It's no wonder we're actually secretly afraid for him to reveal himself in our life. We think he's going to come in this way, and Jesus does not come in this way to his disciples. We cannot project that onto God for ourselves. We cannot do that for others to be afraid of that. The Lord reveals himself in a tender way to these disciples to bring them to himself, and it is not with a slap. It is with a, children, do you have any fish? No. Well, let me help you with that. Try the right side. And in love and care, Jesus enters into this moment with them and provides what they are looking for in enough, a lot of fish 153 fish. Take the time to count them, guys 153. But this isn't what they're really looking for, is it? They've been looking for Jesus. And here he is, and this need is only pointing to him. The surface level, that was fishing. The deeper cry was for Christ himself, and there he is, and now he's appeared. And so this is not about finding the right activity, about us saying, if it is to be, it is up to me, this is the boat, this is the right thing to be doing right now, we may not always know. We can trust that Jesus finds us. He has found us, he is with us, and he does not come to say, that's wrong if he's leading us differently, and he will lead us differently. It is not in this sort of like, you should have known better. You shouldn't have done that. You should have known not to get in that boat. It's no woulda, no coulda, no shoulda. Just, I'm here, can I help you with that? That's how Jesus finds them and gives them an abundance of what they've been looking for. The disciples begin by asking, where is Jesus? They move to seeing on the shore, there is Jesus, but thank God... The story doesn't stop there with them floating off on the water and Jesus fading away again. There is a final movement, and that is knowing, knowing that here is Jesus. And here we see that Peter that we know, as I said in verse 7. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. They go on, they get out on land, they see a charcoal fire in place, Jesus has already laid fish out, okay, they haven't brought the net in, right, so this is fish from Jesus, bread from Jesus, exactly what they came out to to do, to make right, to get for themselves, he has already provided. And what I want us, us to see is the inevitability of this scene. The kind of reading this and thinking, this really couldn't have ended any other way. They launched their boats from the beach to fish. They're going to come back to the same spot, I would think, in the same area. They were always going to come back to shore. After a long night, they were always going to wind up back here, fish or no fish. And here is Jesus, and they know it. They know that he is with them. pulled ashore and the fire is already going and this is the third movement that all of us experience and need to continue to seek in the Lord and he is the one who gives it it is his own presence it's knowing that here he is I think we often begin our faith journey when we're younger we're asking that question where is Jesus where is he in my life where where is he fitting in here like the disciples were asking that question, but we move to recognize He is working here. I want to move towards that. That's what's happening right now. We realize that He has found us, and it it all culminates in realizing that He is with us, that He is with us today. And you see that the original question of the disciples has completely flipped. It says they were so awed, they were quiet, they had this assurance, and also this, not daring to even ask the original question. They were so sure that it was him. The risen Lord is with us. And I've always had a question about this story as I've read it. I've always wondered kind of why it's here. It's not in the other Gospels. Why did John record it? And in fact, what's even weirder about it is If you read John, you sit down and read it, you you don't get a lot about the disciples being fishermen. We know those stories from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that they're fishermen. They begin that way, and Jesus calls them to himself, but John doesn't highlight that until the end. Why? Why does he he wait until the end to to almost go back to the start, to, to go back to fishing? In the other gospels, they start as fishing, and then there's just this up and to the right, mostly, not really progression in walking with the Lord. And it is, it is an odd placement, but I think, I think John is putting this here for us because he wants to turn it on us and ask us, after Easter, are, are, we, are we back to the grind? Are we more of the same but harder after seeing the risen Lord and encountering Him and all that He has done to make it right between God and between heaven and earth? Are we still of the mindset that we need to go out and make this good? It's the same with our work, with our relationship, and even our relationship with God. If this is going to work, it's still up to me to make it good. I hope I picked the right boat. I hope I pick the right path. John is saying this at the end. He wants to warn us that as we begin to ask, where is Jesus? It's an encouraging warning. The resurrected Lord will find us, and he will make it good because he's already made it good. The gospel is that we could not make it good between us and God, and so God stepped in to do that work for us. Where we began asking, where is Jesus? We should ask that. We should be longing for him as our hope, seeking him and that, should, that will soon turn. We have an assurance that that will soon turn to, there is Jesus. He is working. I see him. And whether you're staying on the boat to haul in the catch or jumping into the ocean to swim to shore faster, there's an appropriate response to move towards Jesus when we see him working. But we must conclude, we must conclude with the knowing of the here of Jesus, that he is here for whatever our work, whatever our striving, whatever we're seeking to make good, Jesus will meet us in it. He may provide. He may delay provision for a season. But whatever the fruit of that, it will never satisfy like being in his own presence and receiving the provision that he gives to us. And this is what John is saying. What we need to hear this morning is just when we think we can't find Jesus, Jesus finds us. He finds he pulls us closer and closer, meeting our need, satisfying our ultimate need and longing, and he makes it good. He really will. I will close in prayer for us. Our Father, we long to be with you. Jesus, we long to be with you on that that shore, and I pray that you would draw us near to yourself this morning, that there would be a gentle reminder of the ways in which we think that we need to make it right when you have already said, my child, can I help you with that? Have you caught anything? Why don't you come and eat? Why don't you come and be with me? Could we hear that in a fresh way this morning from your word, O Lord? Could we be reminded and glory in the work of the cross what has been accomplished for us by the blood of Christ, that we are your children and you call to us even now. And even in moments where we think we can't find you, you are seeking us out and drawing us to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.